Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hello, hello, hello there. Nice to uh, nice to be with you. Um, uh, we begin with uh, our usual apologies uh, for yesterday's uh, delayed program. I'm sorry for those of you who gave up on us. We eventually got things uh, up and running. We we've there, there's been some changeover here technically, and to anyone who's been a uh, a regular who's indefatigably uh, sort of continued on with uh, my program uh, knows that we've <laughs> we've suffered a lot of technical issues from no matter where we happen to uh, be um, but uh, su- suffice to say we are uh, constantly working to uh, remedy this and so far so good I think we should be uh, able to take phone calls today phone number 412-200-5686 I don't know it I never called it uh, there you go and, um, geez, I, I had on uh, public radio on my way in, continuing my uh, effort to stay away from uh, cable news, uh, and I found out, it's a strange way to find out, that uh, your next-door neighbor is uh, probably going to be moving. Um, I was afraid of this. <laughs> because I really like these people, uh, and they only moved in a few years ago, if that. And you know how when you nervously await new neighbors, uh, which frankly I've been doing now for the last few years, um, uh, there seems to be, uh, the Grim Reaper seems to be hanging out uh, on my street, and he's taken down my neighbors left, right, and center. Um I'm now, I think, the one of the few old-timers uh, left standing. And, uh, you know, new people move in, and you're always like, oh, God, I hope they're not noisy. Oh, God, I hope they're not. I hope they're nice. I hope they're nice. And I've been very lucky, extremely lucky. Um, and, and these nice people next door uh, came from Ann Arbor, Michigan. And uh, I had heard um, just the other day, actually, that, I would probably be losing him. He's been named, I heard on the radio, the uh, new president of Carnegie Mellon University. And I think his name is uh, Farnham Jahanian. Just when I finally remembered the name, you know, he's always having trouble. Let's see, what was it? It was, uh, you know, I'm an old kind of American. I like people named Mike and Bob and things like that. Farnham Jahanian. And uh, damn if they didn't make him the <laughs> the president. Uh, so my understanding is is that CMU has like Pitt has uh, like Carl I think Carlo has like I know Chatham has they have nice nice mansion type houses for their president. So I guess he'll be he and his wife and that funny-looking dog going to be moving in. So, anyone want to be my neighbor? I got a feeling there's going to be a house up for uh, for sale again. Anyway, I wish Farnham Jahanian all the best. He is uh, one nice guy, uh, and that is on top of a stellar resume that seemed to be made for being named the president of Carnegie Mellon <laughs> University. So uh, there you have it. He had come, I think, from the University of Michigan, um, also the National Science Foundation, where he held big, big posts and then was named as provost of CMU, which uh, brought him here and his family here. And uh, wow, quick rise for a nice, nice guy. So there you have it. Dang it. I'm sorry, I'm still processing the information, so that's why it was uppermost in my mind. Here is some unbelievable news. Another reason for anybody who's sort of thinking, you know, maybe I should move to Canada. I don't hear a lot of that anymore. But uh, here's another reason. Um, 
Doctors in Quebec, or Quebec, are protesting their salaries. Actually, they just got a, a raise. <laughs> and I know this is almost impossible for Americans to process, but they are protesting the increase in their salaries. Can we even, I'm asking you, is an American capable of taking in that information? Huh? Doctors in Quebec and med students and residents are signing an online petition saying, uh-uh, we don't want it. We don't need it. And I got news for you. You know, Canadian doctors don't get the kind of pay that we our docs get here. We don't need it. We don't want it. We believe in a strong public health system. And because of that, we want any money you have going to the nurses, going to hire more nurses, going to clerks, going to any services that have been reduced uh, in recent years because of supposedly lack of funds. God bless these guys. And then, I mean, they make a they make a ton of money. A specialist doctor in uh, in Quebec uh, makes, on average, what is it, four hundred uh, for a specialist. So this would not be a GP. Four hundred three thousand dollars annually. Okay, that's in Quebec. If you're a doc, a specialist next door in Ontario, you make uh, less. You make $367,000. But the guys in Quebec are saying, hey, you know what? Hey, you know what? We can scrape by on 400, 403. Um, please put this money where it makes more sense if you want a, a good health care system. I mean, it's just beyond belief. Doctors in Quebec are protesting their pay raises, saying they already make too much money. I'm just giving you a, a pause, a break there, to, for, just to take it in. <laughs> to take it in. Because uh, we Americans are notorious for not getting out much. You know, for thinking that whatever's happening here is just the way things are. And it's not the case. Man. Wow. So that was the great news I, I read. An another story that blew me away. I'm getting uh, both that story, I believe, was from the Washington Post, yes. And um, also this story. How many of you have ever been to Branson, Missouri? I know. I'm just asking you to raise your hands because I have never been there, and the odds are I never will. It just ain't my kind of entertainment. I love Dolly Parton, but I'm Branson seems like it wouldn't be a good fit <laughs> for me. But I, I, I don't know. You know, it's a little town in the Ozarks, and... Um, it, it, the population there, uh, the residents, uh, only number about 11,000 people. And every uh, every spring, summer, fall, they get, you know, busloads, busloads of uh, people uh, coming in to take in their dinner theaters, their, um, their music concerts. Their, they have a museum of dinosaur replicas. They got a lot of stuff that people enjoy so tourism is their biggest industry here's the problem you had to know there was going to be a problem Branson now hiring for its upcoming tourist season can't find enough people to fill the jobs cannot now some of these jobs are you know lower end they're housekeepers and 
things like that. But others are, you know, up the ladder, managers and and other such. So a lot of the people there who are desperate for workers. And by the way, if you've ever traveled during tourist season uh, in the United States, you you have in the past encountered lots of foreign young people manning cash registers at grocery stores, uh, taking tickets at theme parks, right? That kind of thing. They've come from Serbia. They've come from who knows where. Here and that, you ask them. And then you find that they're housed in these like sort of awful dormitories. But they come on these temporary visas to make some money to see the United States. But uh, it's a short stay, and then they got to go. What has happened is Trump's immigration policies have really restricted that program. And so people in the tourist industry are having a lot of trouble finding folks who will fill these jobs. So Branson, Missouri, the city fathers decided, wait a minute, I know, they, somebody, some smart cookie sitting around a conference table said, I know where there are people who probably are willing to move and um, they are currently in a place with high unemployment and they're Americans. They don't need no stinking visas. Puerto Rico. Puerto Ricans. And so they've sent delegations down there to Puerto Rico, and in fact, some of our people are starting to come. Some people are starting to come. They want to bring easily a thousand people from Puerto Rico in for these jobs, and they want them to stay. They want them to live in Branson, Missouri. And so they're actually holding classes for employers. The class is called Hispanics 101. And they're trying to teach employers about his Puerto Rican culture, uh, this, that, and the other thing, so that these people, when they come in, will feel welcome and not feel quite so foreign, which of course they are going to feel, even though they're Americans, because Branson is something like 98%, yeah, white. So that's what they're doing. And um, I thought that was a sort of a wonderful story. Of course, the story gets a little uh, unpleasant when you see that some of the folks in Branson are freaking out about this and saying, you know, you can imagine, fill in the, these people are going to come up here and they're going to take our jobs. The jobs are there. Nobody's taking them. That's why there's this program, Hispanics 101. These people are coming here and they're going to rape, murder, and pillage. I wonder where they got that idea. So this is, again, Missouri, the Ozarks. This is red state country. And uh, the people who are running this program say that, man, they're getting pretty ugly comments uh, all the time. But uh, tough. The fact is employers all over this country are increasingly looking to Puerto Rico, uh, offering housing sometimes as a sweetener because they know there are a whole ton of hard-working folks down there who never thought they'd want to, but now want to leave their home because it just has not recovered. So that's something that's happening. And I thought that was a sort of wonderful story. 
um, one of the Chamber of Commerce officials in Branson said that uh, one of the first signs of resistance to the program was a was a resident of Branson saying, I read a story in the local newspaper last May about two guys from Puerto Rico getting into a bar fight here. Did you bring those guys in here? We don't want their kind of violence. Fill in the blanks, fill in the blanks, fill in the blanks. And the woman he was screaming at said, uh, yeah, just one question. What if the two guys in the bar fight had come from Minnesota? Would you uh, be screaming at me? Would uh, you be <laughs> saying, we don't want no Minnesotans coming here? So uh, there you have it. But, you know, the whispering continues. They're going to drive wages down. They're going to this and this and this. But the reality is the mayor of Branson, uh, Karen Bess, said, um, believe me, <laughs> these guys are vital if Branson wants to not only succeed but maybe move up to the next level. So just so as, you know, a little that was a little Americana uh, slipped into the little Canadian thing uh, that I began with. What a world, huh? Um, so these kids in Florida have something to show for it. They actually got, astonishingly, the Florida legislature. It has yet to be signed by the governor, but I suspect it will be. They got the Florida legislature to pass laws that restrict access to guns. All right, I'm going to pause and let you take that in. No, it didn't have everything that, let's say, progressives would have wanted in that bill, but man, it had some really good stuff. The Florida legislature passed a measure that would increase the minimum age to buy any types of gun, with some exceptions, from 18 to 21. The Florida legislature has passed a measure, both houses, requiring a three-day waiting period before a buyer can receive a firearm. Not the instantaneous thing we got going almost everywhere else in the country. They banned the sale of bump stocks. Who even knew what a bump stock was until the carnage in Las Vegas? It creates this new bill a process for courts to temporarily prevent people who are deemed to be at risk of doing something horrible from having firearms. It does some other things that I don't agree with. But this is really, all in all, progress, ain't it? And just knowing that Wayne LaPierre and that awful woman, what's her name? Heather Loesch or what, what, what's her name? <laughs> Heather Heidi, some god-awful. Um, uh, just knowing that they are going nuts. They're pulling their hair out. They are freaking out. They had mobilized all their NRA members to call these legislators. They had done everything they've always done in the past, threatening blah, 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 and it did not work. That's something amazing. That's moving things forward. And... A lot of this stuff happened while I was on hiatus. 
but corporations stepping up, including our own Pittsburgh-area-based Dick's uh, Sporting Goods, saying, you know, we got a role to play here, too. Now, obviously, you might want them to do more and more and more than they've done, but uh, they started a thing going, and then Walmart, for God's sakes, jumped in, and others jumped in. And then, in, on the corporate side, uh, places like uh, 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 retail chains that are also co-ops, customer co-ops, like uh, the Outdoor Outfitter, I think, uh, REI, they have jumped in and even pushed the envelope because they have decided, wait a minute, are you aware that these gun manufacturers, because guns weren't, as soon as Trump got elected, gun sales went down. Gun sales only go up when Democrats are elected. They go... Obama was the greatest gift to the gun manufacturers ever. A uh, win by Hillary Clinton would have probably been even greater because, as you know, folks are told, they'll take your guns away. They never do. They never have said they would. And, in fact, the last time I heard a president say he wanted to take the guns away, I believe it was a Republican currently sitting in the uh, Oval Office which he, of course, backtracked on immediately, but uh, that's then what this president does. But the folks at REI said, you know, we got to take a look at who, what other businesses these gun manufacturers have bought up in recent years because their gun sales have been lagging. So they've been moving out into other, what's called, I guess, outdoor products and accessories. So if the hunters aren't buying as many guns and rifles, then maybe you can sell them clothing and other accoutrements. So it turns out that, wow, I mean, like Smith & Wesson, first of all, doesn't even call itself Smith & Wesson anymore. It calls itself American Outdoor Brands. Did you know that? And American Outdoor Brands, formerly known as Smith & Wesson, uh, saw their revenue from firearms uh, fall 40% just in the last quarter. And sales in their other non-lethal divisions increased. Not as much, but 13%. And so these gun manufacturers that have acquired brands that are not lethal, that are different from their core business, firearms, ammo, and all that stuff, are increasingly moving into that kind of thing. And REI said, you know what? We need to look at what we're carrying in our store that is really enriching these gun manufacturers. And so REI looked around and they have suspended orders for Bell bicycle helmets. They have suspended their orders for Camelback water bottles. They have suspended their orders for other accoutrements like that, helmets and bottles and thigamajigs, because... They come from a company named Vista Outdoor. Vista Outdoor makes assault rifles. So that signals uh, an interesting escalation um, 
on businesses uh, position in this uh, new gun debate that we have going so I just want to put that down as another um, another positive okay um, if you want a list of companies that are associated with these major gun manufacturers I mean those lists are making their way around of course on social media and petitions are being uh, circulated so uh, you know you hear of a thing called Vista and you think oh it's a nice outdoor business I suppose they sell tents yeah maybe they do sell tents and bicycle helmets and all that other stuff but they also sell assault rifles and remember that Smith & Wesson now is hiding behind a brand called American Outdoor Brands. Who knew? And we know Mar uh, Margie's saying, of course, uh, Margie's saying, uh, you know, REI is very progressive. Yeah, well, God bless them. And, I mean, I didn't know that. If I were buying a bicycle helmet, I might look a little bit more into who I might be enriching by that uh, by that purchase. There was something I had. Um, anybody want to talk to me? By the way, just saying. You couldn't call yesterday. And you couldn't call the day before. I haven't heard anybody's voice since Monday. <laughs> I feel very lonesome, kind of. So um, one of the things that I had wanted to um, say when yesterday when Susan was on, then I saw that the time had blessedly run out, and I said, you know, anyway, it was depressing. I still want to note it uh, for you now sort of mid-program so it won't be the last thing I leave you with but uh, you know in reading as I do uh, news papers um, I come across not big stories these little stories that that aren't given like any time on CNN uh, or Fox they aren't given any time on the the CBS NBC news or very little and I I would sort of put all these put all of these uh, stories together under a heading of cruelty cruel things that are being done in the name of us Americans being done by our government and things that in any normal time we would probably know about we would probably rise up about but in these times of course they are drowned out elbowed out and not given I mean while while we're spending, I suppose, CNN and the rest uh, talking about what Stormy Daniels, is that what is that? The, I bet that's the big story. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's my guess, knowing him. Um, and might I say, uh, another big story: the Mueller investigation. Uh, I'm on top of it, and man. Talk about progress. There's incredible progress being made there. Incredible progress, clearly. And what you got to wonder is if there's going to be anybody left standing uh, in the Trump campaign uh, slash White House. It's amazing. What a, what a nest of vipers, as we knew, but it'll finally... 
uh, be proven in a court of, of law. But the cruelty, the cruelty of this administration uh, evidences itself uh, every day. And there were just two things, I think, just that I read yesterday that I thought, oh, my God. Uh, one had to do with uh, the, the Trump administration has reinstituted what they said they'd gotten rid of, and now it's back, which means that Americans who spend tens of thousands of dollars to head over to Africa so they can kill an elephant and bring back their tusks or their ears or their eyeballs or their balls or who the hell knows what it is that they like to show off as evidence of their incredible masculinity. But the Obama administration had instituted things. You cannot. You go over there and kill an elephant, fine. You're leaving that elephant and all its parts in Africa. You ain't bringing it back to make a trophy to hang something on the wall. Well, the Trump administration has now reinstituted that. There's a number of pictures of his son and sons happily posing with glorious wild animals they have slaughtered. And um, I believe one was with a elephant's tail, Don Jr. Well, he can now go kill more elephants and bring back more body parts if he wants. It's just cruelty. We have a call. Caller, hello. Yeah. Hi. Hi. Um, this thing with the teachers, I'm all for the unions and that, and they, I'm glad they got something. But I was reading the article. I started to read it. But they had a um, – they were comparing the teachers' wages. Like, I think it was 42000 I can't remember what mm -hmm. exactly. It was about that. So if somebody that works at assistant manager job in a quick – like a – Mini Mart type of thing mm -hmm. that makes sixty thousand. See, that's what's the problem with the country. When you start putting one person that makes this amount of money against somebody else, don't even bring that story up about that makes sixty thousand. Assistant manager, for one thing, you got to worry about getting shot. I mean, there's and you work shifts. It's not the greatest job for anybody that's had that kind of job, I'm sure. So, but th this country does that. Well, they make this amount, or they make that amount. Don't worry about what other people make that are working-class people. If you want to worry about what people make, let's worry about the top, up at the top. But they always seem to plot against one another like that. I, I hate that. I really do. Okay, I, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree. I don't, that, that's what the people at the top like. The people at the top yeah. like if we see our fellow hard workers who aren't making enough, perhaps, uh, at each other's throats. Right. Yeah. Um, right. That's, that is, and that I, I, I don't that. disagree. The fact of the matter is uh, the position of teacher uh, sh is so undervalued in our culture, and especially oh, yeah. now with what teachers are expected to do well beyond teaching. Um, and you've got to have a master's degree anymore after so long, or they get rid of you. How are you going to pay off your student loans doing that and making right. that? Yeah, I hear you. I, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. Yeah, I just, I don't know what, that kind of article doesn't help anybody when you start picking Well, it's not, it's that argument. It's that argument yeah, that doesn't that help because just saying, look, this other hardworking human being is making that. Um, yeah. You know, well, fine, that's good, but. That that's no, I agree. That's not the way to argue the point. Not the way to argue the point. No, not at all. Okay, thank okay, you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay, uh, one of the other cruel stories is what uh, our uh, what ICE is doing on a daily basis. My God, oh my God! If you and I'm not, I haven't been highlighting. Uh, the ice stories, they're first of all so gut-wrenching, so horrific, so inhumane, so 
cruel that I can't, I just can't. But I happened to see one again yesterday, and it just, you know, the thing is, is that there's no reason for a lot of the cruelty that they engage in. And this particular story was about a woman, I'm forgetting what country in Africa, running for her life with her six-year-old daughter and getting somehow to the United States, applying for asylum here. And apparently because of her story, in all likelihood, probably would receive it, at least in the past, because of the likelihood of true danger where she had run from. And here's the cruelty. I guess when somebody comes and they are asking for asylum, um, they are put in a detention center until their case is uh, heard and concluded. But here's what ICE did with no there is no possible way that there would be any reason to do it except cruelty. They put the woman in a facility, I believe in California, and they took her six-year-old daughter and sent her to some place in Chicago. This is a child who's already endured, one can only imagine, coming to a strange land, being immediately detained by scary people with guns, and then separated from her mother when they certainly could have been held together. Whoever makes those decisions has to be simply evil, cruel. The ACLU stepped in, and as far as I know, the, the mother and child are still not together, but there is movement now in that direction. That's my memory of, of the story. The mother has been able to talk to her child on the phone a few times. The child is hysterical, crying. This is what we do now. This is our government. And we live in a democracy in which supposedly we have power to change our government if we don't think it is operating in our name in a manner that we agree with. Wow. Those stories, I hate to say it, it's like a dime a dozen. Uh, Ed says, do you know about Marion Hammer in Florida? No. She is purported to be the main reason gun laws are so lax and non-existent in Florida and around the country as a whole. And fl Well, thanks for sending me the profile. I will uh, read it when, I, when I'm able to. I know that's not a name or a woman I know of. Sounds like she belongs in the evil category, too, huh? Uh, Ed says, in Florida's gun lobby continues to instill fear in lawmakers. It is led by Marion Hammer. Oh. Well, she just had a big loss there, though, didn't she? Those scare tactics and threatening, we'll get you in the primary. Uh, we'll spend money. We'll give tons of money to your uh, opponent. Um 
it didn't work this time in large part in large part because Florida Republicans did something that you would not have thought possible they did something that your representatives in Harrisburg not only haven't done, I'm not aware that they're even contemplating it. I guess we have to have some children sacrificed in Pennsylvania for Pennsylvanian legislators to get the same, uh, what, um, impetus to shake off the NRA as these Florida legislators Marion Hammer, she's 78 years old, packs a pistol in her purse and seeks political vengeance on legislators who disappoint her. And, uh, well, thanks, Ed, for the New Yorker article. I will uh, ingest it when when I have the time. Thank you. Uh, Dave says, since you are currently talking about newspapers, I was wondering if you know if Rob Rogers' political cartoons are picked up by other papers throughout the country. Oh, yeah. Uh, Rob, Rob's stuff is disseminated uh, all over the place. Uh, you can see him uh, regularly in the magazine that I tout as if you want to take a break from news and just read one thing once a week. It's a magazine called The Week, and they do a compilation of editorial cartoons from the week every week, and uh, Rob is often, often represented in there. His stuff has been in the New York Times, in Life, in Life, in Newsweek, and all those old magazines. He was constantly reprinted. But they are, yes, he is picked up, of course. And uh, you'll be happy to know, Dave, they are seen by um, others. The Post-Gazette editorial page, which I now barely can bear to look at, um, now that it is being run by the blockhead in charge, the chief blockhead in charge, who is ensconced his uh, his pal in um, Toledo to be in charge of the editorials here in Pittsburgh, like this guy in Toledo. <laughs> and did you see what their edi- they, they came out? Oh man, there was a there was a editorial the other day about how Trump's uh, tariffs. It was just the most brilliant political move of all time. That's your progressive <laughs> Pittsburgh Post-Gazette now. It's becoming quickly as noxious as the Wall Street Journal's editorial page. Um, I was thrilled to see uh, a piece in the business, I think it was in the business section of the New York Times today, um, written by a guy named uh, Manju Farhad, Farad. And um, it turns out Manju and I, unbeknownst to each other, had done the same thing in the last month. Actually, he's been doing it for two months. He started, I think, in January. He pretty much disconnected from social media. And um, he has written a, a piece now. And he's a happy guy. And he feels like a more informed guy. Because he says, because I now choose to get my information from print. He now subscribes to home delivery of the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and his local paper, which is the San Francisco Chronicle. And that's what I do, as as you know. And that's what he does. He says, I get my news once a day, 
like I used to, and he too used the term like time travel, like I used to. And I don't jump with every little beep on my phone because when a story first breaks now because of immediacy, the fastest wins the race idea that now has overtaken journalism instead of <laughs> instead of the one that has the story straight and in context wins the race. That should be what journalism is. Since speed now is the be-all and end-all, initially when a big breaking story hits, it is filled with misinformation. So if you're getting your initial information from, you know, Twitter, which I was doing, you're ingesting a lot of half-truths, untruths, because the dust hasn't even settled. And he said that because now he is spending a lot less time following a story as it unfolds online, he has become better informed because he skips the part where you're first misinformed. And so that his first experience of a story is an accurate account in which trained professionals, called journalists, have sifted through all the stuff that people do on social media, did all that for him, and then compiles a story that he ingests, perhaps 24 hours later or 15 hours later, but he gets the straight story. He says, turn off any digital news uh, alerts that you got on your phone because those are the bad guys. There is no need to know. There is no need to be first. I remember I used to feel a kind of pride when somebody say, did you hear that so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so? And I'll say, yeah. Yeah. I heard about that like three hours ago. You know, I was on top. And I said it was because I had this job and I got to be on top. No, I have this job and I have to be aware and in receipt of factual information. And he says, so now, I, of course, he's a news junkie. For God's sakes, he works for a newspaper. I'm a news junkie. He says, of course, I still want to be informed. I always have. But I am now looking at formats that prize depth and accuracy over speed. And then he points out the psychological benefits as well. He says, I'm not just less anxious and less addicted. I am actually more widely informed, although granted with some blind spots. Because it is true on Twitter, you get this, that, and the other thing. But what you get is not just news. You get news immediately with a spin. You get news immediately with an agenda, with a comment from whoever is putting it out there. And when you simply go back to the way things used to be, you take in solid information and think about it and arrive at your own, <laughs> your own conclusions. And see, you don't do that if you're watching CNN religiously or MSNBC. You're getting the cacophony of all of those experts. And generally, you hang on to the one expert's uh, utterances that most dovetail with your, your own, right? And this guy says, it's amazing how much more free time I have. 
And he says, in two months, I managed to read half a dozen books and took up pottery. <laughs> because you're not a slave. I don't even have mine out here now. You're not a slave to the phone. I know I'm on a tear about this, but I really am. I am. Because I know it's better. So his his thing now is you can still get your news, but just don't think of speed or quickness as something that is of any value at all. And above all, avoid social media. Try to wean yourself from Twitter and Facebook. And also... Slowing things down means that if you just read the news once a day, just take it in once a day, somehow it all feels more contained, it all feels more comprehensible than this, than this being pelted constantly, right, with information out of context. He suggests creating your own news ritual, but where you look at a news app maybe once a day. Uh, what's important is choosing something that highlights deeper stories over quickly breaking ones. There is no need for you to to create the stress that 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 absolutely induces. He says it's not that newspapers are so great, but it's that social media is so bad. Because social media rewards speed. And when we fall into that, we become riper for taking in misinformation, stuff spewed by bots, propagandists, fake news. When you go back to the way things used to be, you can go to what you know are reliable sources, right? So, just want to say, I, I was heartened to see that um, I'm not al I'm not alone. I think I think a lot of people uh, independently are beginning to do that. I think we are seeing people who have been addicted to this stuff starting to say, "I realize I have a problem here," and trying to break away. And uh, I wouldn't sit around waiting for Facebook or Twitter to correct the problem uh, that they have created. I would look to yourself. And I, I just do want to say that um, on the other end, there's a feeling of more control and more thoughtfulness and more just the fact that it slows things down. It's just wonderful. A story I've been watching play out is the story of this, I'm changing subject, of this woman in New Hampshire who won the lottery, won half a billion dollar payout. It was over 500 million. And um, she is in a legal battle to try to remain anonymous. This is obviously a thoughtful woman. She won. She's got a half a million, half a billion dollars coming at her. And she knows how that up would upend her life. And she thinks not for the better. So she doesn't want, pe she doesn't want to be prated out and have the picture taken with the big check. 
But it turns out uh, New Hampshire law regarding the lottery, and I'm sure the law in almost every other state says, no, you gotta. It's one of the ways the lottery keeps people coming back. When, when you see a picture of an ordinary human being, looks like you, holding that big check, it sticks in your head, wow, look at that, it could be me. So it's a great marketing technique. And I so feel for this woman. I hope she wins. I know that um, I think the deck is stacked against her, but I, I hope she wins. Apparently, um, she has still remained anonymous, although she has gotten the check for a, uh, she took a lump sum payment of $352 million. And after she paid the taxes, it comes down to about $264 million, which is now meaning she's got a quarter of a billion dollars. Aww, how quickly that went away. And she has already given um, a quarter of a million dollars of the money she just got uh, to some nonprofits, one that deals with hunger, one that is uh, aimed at uh, young girls. And she says she plans to give away at least $50 million in the future and that she is somebody who is already very involved in her community. She just doesn't want to be the person that is then pointed at, that is on the receiving end of every, everybody wanting a slice, especially knowing now that she is by nature a generous person. I I hope she's able. She has she has remained anonymous, and as I said, it's up now to a judge about whether she will be allowed to be. Um, the the things the judge has to weigh is this woman's privacy versus the state's. Uh, rules um, and thus far the judge has said that it is a, a male it's a he uh, ruled that she could receive the money while he is considering the case and uh, you know the state says if you want people to trust in the lottery it's got to be transparent it's got to be open we've got to be able to show here's the person who's getting that big hunk of money it could be you next time and um, I understand their point as well uh, so you know just let me tell you if you ever do win <laughs> If you ever are holding on to one of these winning tickets, it won't be me because, as I've said, I have never bought a lottery ticket in my life, and I never will. But if you do end up a winner and you don't want anyone to know, then hold off signing it in your name. Immediately see a lawyer. Immediately set up uh, a foundation in your name, your name foundation, which will be the entity which signs your ticket. Once it's a foundation, it can be anonymous, I believe. I don't know if that's true in every state, but any, uh, not a foundation, why am I saying foundation, a trust, a trust. A trust, a trust. Um, so, I don't know. It, it, you know, odds are anybody who's hearing me say this is never going to win a half a billion dollar uh, lottery payout. But if you do, don't sign it. You go to a lawyer, you create a trust, then you sign it. Okay? Okay.
I think that's it. And uh, thank you very much. I'll be uh, I'll be back tomorrow. It'll be my first week back, full week in a hell of a long time, and uh, I've enjoyed it. I hope you have as well. See you tomorrow. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.